Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. If you're watching online or here, I would, I would get you to ask you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're down to the, just the last few verses. We'll finish this up next week by looking at only the last two verses. But this morning, this is a climactic point of James. If you miss this, you've really missed the point of James. A, a living faith is a working faith. And a working faith is a praying faith. That's, that's James. And so let's... Let's focus ourselves in the midst of whatever's going on in our life today. Let's open up our Bibles and let's lean in this morning to this text. James 5 verse 13. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. I had some things I'm going to, supposed to announce, but I don't want to do anything to, to change from our focus on this passage. Our praise teams have set the table for us. So let us now hear from God's Word. Beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain in the earth. Bore its fruit. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us today. That this living faith that you have implanted in us by the power of the Holy Spirit may cultivate the need and the desire for you and you alone that bleeds out in the way we pray. We have all come here today with things that need to be confessed and forgiven. And so, Lord, we don't want anything to get in the way of being able to receive your word today. And sin does that in our life. Sin done against all sin is against you and then sin against our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children. Oh, God, so we come to you today to the only one who, who has sent his son to die for us, to ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, so that we may receive the Word, so that we may delight in you, and so that we may, as a result of this message, stand and sing praises to you and come to your table in the fullness of joy. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We have said over and over that following Christ in this broken, fallen world leads us to two temptations— one is despair, the other is compromise. And so here's James' very simple point. So pray. I'm going to use an illustration. I'm going to use it later, but I want to use it now. It's, it's right here in front of us, and I think we all can understand it. So you've got my permission. Look up. 
you can't look up, you can look forward. You see these pipes right here? This is a sprinkler system. It, matter of fact, it's a little aggravating story along with that. That's why we're worshiping here rather than over there now because the city wouldn't let us worship over there in the situation that it was. They wanted us to worship where the sprinkler systems are. And so, you see those black pipes? Those are a conduit. The point of the pipe is to take something that is precious, something that is essential. If, if these lights would catch, on, catch these pallets on fire, by the way, I had to spray those so they're not going to catch on fire, but that's another story too. Let's say that they did. What would happen... Well, the designed purpose of the sprinkler system is that a sensor would go off that would turn a pump on, and the pump would pump water through these conduits out to the sprinkler heads, putting out the fire. The point, you see, is that these conduits are essential. But they are not the point. They're not the precious thing. You're not going to take that pipe and beat the fire out with it. The fire has, the pipe has a designed purpose to deliver something, to accomplish what the sprinkler system was designed to do. This is prayer. Prayer is a conduit. Prayer in our life is a conduit that delivers something. It is God's designed means to accomplish His designed purpose. That's why it's important in our life. Our spiritual life will never rise above our prayer life. And so, main idea today, faith perseveres in suffering through active worship. I'm using that active worship in this main idea to, to illustrate what patience, this waiting on the Lord that we've been reading and singing about. Uh, this act of worship takes up the prayer of faith for physical and spiritual healing. I want us to look this morning at this text. I'm not going to explain away the text. We Baptists sometimes have a tendency to do that when we don't understand something. We need to look at the need of faith-filled prayers, and we need to see the power of faith-filled prayers. First, the need. The need. The need of faith-driven Prayers. Look at verse 13 and 14, just the beginning of 14. It says, there's three questions. You see them? Is anyone among you suffering? First question. Answer, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Second question. Let him sing praise. And then the third question. Is any among you sick? This is meant to give you an overarching purpose of the need of prayer. The need of prayer is for the believer, remember, this is a Christian worldview. If, if this doesn't make sense to you this morning, you need to examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Because this is how Christians think. Christians oppose any situation. We approach any situation prayerfully. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstances. Listen to Paul speaking to the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 16, he says... It's Sounds very similar to James. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ for you. We've already said, if you look back in chapter 5 to verse 8, 
that we're, the context of this is that life is hard. That there is suffering in the life of the church, in the individual believer's life, and collectively as the church. And they are called, in verse 8, to be patient, to strengthen their inward person. And so we're seeing today, then, this active patience. It's not passive. It is a prayer. Prayer is the way we obtain patience, and prayer is the way we exercise our patience. Through these three situations, do you see them? One is the hard. We've been talking about the hard. The whole book of James has the hard in it. And matter of fact, much of the New Testament has a context of suffering built into it. It says, is any among you suffering? This word suffering is very general. It could be outside. It can be inside. It can look like any type of thing. It's a type of prayer that does not always pray for deliverance, but oftentimes it prays for the strength to faithfully endure that which we know God has given us to endure. Paul being an example of that, of saying, I had something, I prayed for it, God would not take it away. God said, I'll give you the grace to go through it for my glory. We know this. So we bring that knowledge to this text today as we see that What these hard times does is makes us understand and feel we're not in control. And we hate that. And so the trouble in the Christian life, as it is with every person's life, is we can fall victim to self-pity and anger and anxiety and my one of choice, self-defeating introspection. If you're an introvert today, you fall prey to that one all the time, just like I do. Self-defeating introspection. I could kick the legs out from beneath my own chair while I'm sitting in it. We pray in the hard. We also pray in the wonderful. Do you see that? Is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This word cheerful is not necessarily that you just got a raise. This cheerfulness is an inward disposition. You're inward disposition of your heart is cheerful it is positive it is hopeful it is even motivated and when we feel positive when we feel hopeful when we feel motivated when we think everything's going to be okay this is good this is good life is good i'm happy with the situation as it is right now we can oftentimes forget that every good and perfect gift comes down from god and so what he's saying is when you have that Make music. That's what that means. Make music. No, Mike is not the only one that can make music. We are told here, when we are cheerful, you need to make music. Uh, Just listen. Matter of fact, turn there. I want you to see it. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Verse 19. Paul tells us, there again, the church, to address... One another, you see that? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with what? Your heart. You see, this worship, this singing is a posture of the inward man. This is not just me standing up and mouthing because the words are on the screen this morning. This cheerfulness comes From the inward man, and he's saying and going, in other words, it's singing. And you'll see this, the songs that Micah picked on the back half here. Quite honestly, most of it is prayer. Singing and worshiping, whether it's individually in your private time or whether collectively, is is often us offering up our 
prayer to God in worship. It is praise. It is exaltation. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you're suffering? Pray. If you're happy, pray. Are you sick? Are you sick? Sometimes life just stinks. You know, the beautiful weather comes, and your eyes start watering, your nose starts running. It's the most beautiful time of the year. And I know we talk about this in our house all the time. And then this weather comes, and we start having stopped up and headaches and migraines. Lord have mercy. Sometimes it just stinks to be in a fallen world. And our bodies feel it. This is the context of this passage. Physical sickness that has rendered a person bedridden. Priority here, no matter what the situation is, you see, is worship. That's his point. And I know y'all don't do this, but I can. Culturally, this is just sort of the way it is. When we're sad, what do we do? We eat. When we're happy, what do we do? We eat. When we get good news... What do we do when we eat? When someone has a birthday, what do we do? We eat. When someone has a funeral, what do we do? We eat. It, this, is, this is what he's saying. In the Christian life, whatever we do involves worship. It involves us coming to the only one who cares for us ultimately in a sinless, perfect way. And that is the Father. Matthew 7 says, if you, being the jacked up people that you are, love to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven love to give the things that people ask for? So ask Him. Don't explain that away. Ask Him. Matthew is written in the context of kingdom children wanting to be kingdom children. So... Ask Him. We need the power now. We see the need. We need to see the power of praying leaders. So He asks three questions, but He focuses on one because this is the issue at hand. Someone is sick. And so He writes letters, as many letters do in the New Testament. Paul does, dealing with actual issues going on in an actual church. He says, is anyone sick? Let him Call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's a very simple pattern here, isn't it? Do you see it? Someone is sick. The sick person calls for the elders of the church. The elders of the church come to the person. They anoint the sick person with oil and they pray for healing. It's a simple pattern. I want you to see first that the elders are called to pray. They're called to pray. If you're making notes, I put the elders pray. It should say the elders are called to pray. I want you to see this. This is explicit in the New Testament. It is explicit in Scripture. You have to try to ignore it. And oh, how, ba- how Baptists have ignored this first point. There is an assumed plurality here among the elders. Do you see it? Let them call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. Do you see that? The elders, plural, in every church, singular. This is all through the book of Acts. You have to try to ignore it. Elders were a part of the people of God from the old to the new. Listen to this quote. 
The modern model of a lone ranger pastor is a departure from the biblical model of plural eldership. The elders plural are called to pray. You say, why is that so important, Stephen? Authority without accountability ends up in tyranny. Authority without accountability ends up in tyranny. And when the plurality of your pastors ask, do something, we should pay attention. It's not simply a lone ranger pastor calling the shots. We are doing this thing together because we're all mere people. Listen to this, 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the elders, plural, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Listen to what his elders elders are doing. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Those that are called are humble servant leaders of the church, and they're called to pray because this person is in a desperate situation. So don't miss the point this morning. Praying as a group intensifies our faith and it orients our faith toward that person or that thing we have brought to the Lord. Praying together intensifies our faith and it orients our faith. This person's in desperate need. They are at home. They are unable to leave and so the elders are called to Him. Look at verse 14. This word sickness can mean any kind of sickness, physical, mental, spiritual. But here we see this person's illness is a physical illness. Uh, They are called in to pray over him. The assumption there is he is laying in a bedridden state and he cannot go nor come. The principle first in this situation is that the sick person must take the initiative to call the elders of the church to pray. The elders just don't knock on the door and say, we're here to pray for you. The the person who is sick has called for his spiritual leaders by faith to come and pray out of obedience to God's word. And we see then what happens next. Let him call, verse 14, for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We see that the elders anoint the person with oil. Now, what's up with this, right? Is is this somehow the elders being like stand-in doctors? Oftentimes, oil was seen at that time as, as medicinal. We don't see anything in Scripture, nor in history, that elders administer medicine to people. Uh, Catholic, the Catholics see... This is what they call sacramental. That is, they believe in extreme unction. A a sacrament where when someone is sick or at the end of life, they call the priest in to remove any remnant of sin in their life. It is to them salvific. We don't see this, that in Scripture. Here's what we see in Scripture. Old to new. Turn with me to Mark 6. Mark 6. All is symbolic. All is symbolic. Mark chapter 6. In verse 12. 
This is when Jesus sends out the 12, remember? He tells them, he says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Verse 12. Verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed with all many who were sick and what? And healed them. In the Old Testament, if you remember when, look at the kings and the prophet came to the king. They would anoint his head with oil. This was to set this person apart for special service and use for God. God has chosen him for this special purpose. Anoint him with oil. Set him apart. The elders anointing the person with oil is to set this person apart for God's special attention and care. If you call for the elders of the church, this is what I will bring with me. This is a symbol. It is a symbol that we are setting you apart and all of us are are ordering, are orienting our conduits toward you. To pray. We're setting you apart. What we are saying is that it is the Holy Spirit and His power that brings healing. It is not us. You say, I don't see the point. By the way, this is mine. I had a little young girl give me this little oil there. You sit there going, do you use that, Pastor? I do. You said, I don't get that. If you're married in the room, hold your hand up. Hold it up, old Baptist. Y'all can do it. Y'all don't lift your arm. Y'all put on deodorant this morning. Look at your hand. Look at it. Hopefully you got your ring on. <laughs> I started to say it. Hold on a second. <laughs> got your ring. Why is that ring important? Is, is there something magical in this ring? If I, uh-oh, I'm not married. Right? No. This, this ring is a... A symbol. Is this symbol important? Yeah. Who's it important to? It's important to you. It's also important witness to the world. I sat in the house of a man. I don't know if I've told you this or not. He was one of my dad's good friends. He lost his wife. And he was sitting there in the midst of his broken grief. And he was looking at his ring. And he said, my wife and I have never taken off our rings. Before they closed the coffin, the, the funeral home said, do you want a ring? She says, no. I slid that on her finger, and I'm not taking it off. He said, one time she had an operation on her hand, and she said, I'm not taking my ring off. And so they put her hand together, and they slid her ring from one finger to the other. And he told the doctors, they just had to deal with it, because she wasn't taking it off. She put it on the other hand. You're sitting there going, why is that important? Because this ring is a symbol that I, with all that I am and all that I have, belong to her and nobody else. And she belongs to me and the world and has to know it. And we need it. That's why this is important. It's not the oil. There's nothing magical in it. It is simply a symbol we need the power of God in our life because we are as in desperate need as that man laying in that bed the oil is anointed in the name in the name that is what we are saying that it is that name that name that saved me that name that convicts me of my sin 
when I'm saved. It is the one that as I come to pray for somebody is judging the thoughts and intentions of my heart and the one asking to be prayed. It is that name that we are asking His authority and His power. The elders anoint and then you see in verse 15 the elders pray. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. He's already been teaching us this, hasn't he? If you look back in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, what the prayer of faith in is not the double-minded faith. He's already told us that a person who prays and does not expect for God to do what he prays for is confused. He's double-minded. He is a hypocrite asking God to do something that he doesn't believe God will do. And so, important question that everybody asks with this text, isn't it? Is this guaranteed healing? I mean, think about it. If it is, then no Christian would ever die, right? Right? We could just always just pray for faith and be healed and get sick again, pray for faith, and we'd all just sort of live forever. And yet the Bible says that there is a point under man wants to die and then the judgment. And so... You see, this is a promise. But the Bible, every time it lists us something, doesn't give you every exception. Matthew doesn't always say, if you pray in God's will, if you pray with a kingdom mind, kingdom prayers, you will always see kingdom answers. It doesn't say that. It simply says, Jesus simply says things like, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks the door is opened. And so knock and seek. It is the sovereign God and no one else, no preacher, no oil that does anything. It is God who does everything. But we are the conduits and we must ask. This is a promise in this text, and we should not explain it away. The promise here is twofold. This prayer of faith brings healing, and this prayer of faith brings forgiveness. Physical healing, spiritual healing. The prayer of faith, listen, is based off two realities, one harder than the other. Not only God can heal, but God desires to heal. Your elders, your pastor's doctrine at this point matters immensely. Because if you believe that supernatural miracles ceased with the apostles, then is that brother going to come and lay over your bed and pray for you to be supernaturally healed? Or when he prays, is his prayer really just a double-minded prayer? Because we don't believe God does that in this day and time anyway. Don't explain away the Word of God. We lay our hands on here. These men are not apostles. These are pastors, these are leaders that lay their hands on him and the promise is, in this situation, this brother lay his hands on him, he'll be healed. They must come with unwavering faith. The word raise up 
You can really hear that as Christians. Yes, it's true. (laughs) One way or the other, we're going to be raised up, right? Amen? One way or the other, we're going to be raised up. But in this situation, he is talking about physical healing. Of this and this situation, to this person. The result of healing is always the sovereign, perfect will of God to heal. Or to not heal. You simply would have to flip over to another book and see in a situation where God didn't heal a person. But used it for his glory. God heals. But listen, this is the point. We are his chosen instruments. It was our faith-filled prayers that happened. It would not happen if we would not have prayed. Do you believe that today? You sit there going, Stephen, I, I don't know where that might. It does. If you don't understand that, you don't understand God being sovereign, not only in the instruments, but also the ends. He is sovereign in all of it. And so he tells our people, pray. We are the conduits of healing here. It's our faith-filled prayers directed toward, toward God and that person. And the promise is He will be raised up. We are conduits not only of physical healing. You see this in the text, but also spiritual healing. Look at the end of verse 15. And if He has committed sins, He will be forgiven. Now, we don't know this for sure, but most people think potentially in this one particular situation that this guy has done something, he has sinned, and it has caused, it has been been the effect of his sin was that he was sick. But we've seen this in Scripture. You remember we talked about Job not too long ago. That's what his friends were saying. But listen, don't explain that away. Because you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and Paul says the same thing. That sometimes, as a matter of fact, the tables are set today. And this is the context of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. If you're not saved today, don't come to the table because God may well judge you for it. He said, sometimes some of you have come to the table with dirty conduits. And because of that, you're sick. And some of you have died. Sometimes sin leads to illness, even to death. But not always, right? Not always. Do you remember John chapter 9, the man born blind? And, and the, the apostles said, the disciples said, uh, who sinned, his parents or him to cause that? He said, neither one. He is blind so that he could put my God's glory on display. That's why he's blind. You see the tension? Different prayers in different situations because every situation is different. God knows them all. The man brought down through the roof, the thatched roof, you remember? And Jesus looks out at them and said, Which is easier, for me to heal him or me to forgive him? Because only God can do either one. And which would he do? Both. (laughs) Both. This is the point. It takes no more of a miracle for God to heal a man than it does for God to save your lost soul. They're both supernatural, and only God can do it. We 
are the conduits. Designed by God to deliver a message. Designed by God to deliver hope and comfort and love and justice. Always in truth. And there's no more powerful conduit given to us as a gift of God's grace and prayer. But what would happen? What happens if my conduit has trash in it? What happens if that conduit has full of trash and there's a fire? You see, this is the point. Grab this. This is true. I've, I've, I've been an elder for a long time, and I've, I've, I've had the privilege of, of sitting around and seeing miracle, and I've, had, I've seen where we prayed and the person that died, but they've always received grace from this prayer. They always received exactly what God intended of it, but we did not dare pray for healing until we first come to the throne of grace and ask God to forgive us. Forgive us individually to forgive us corporately and so that we may orient our conduits toward this person who is in desperate need of God's grace or God's healing. And so he calls, we come, we anoint, we pray first for our forgiveness and then for the petition. This is not just about, now listen to what I'm saying. You may have missed this like me most of your life. This is not simply about praying leaders. It's not. So look with me. I want you to read this with me. I want you to see the power of a praying people. Look at verse 16. I want you to read it with me. James chapter 5 verse 16. Let's read the first sentence in this verse together. It starts with therefore. Therefore. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Did you see that? This is not simply a command for the elders of the church to pray. It is, it is saying, since this principle is true, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that God can heal you. Do you see the promise this morning? You're not praying and you're not living in community, so you're not confessing and you're still stuck right where you've been stuck for the last 30 years. When God said He'd heal you from your depression and your addiction and your cynical attitude about life, and that person you lost when you were 12, he can heal you. But you're not praying. We must pray, and we must pray together. The purpose of this is intercessory prayer is a normal part of the Christian life. It is essential to the Christian life. It is the context for confession. I have seen people rip this command to confess their sins out of its context and hurt people because of it. This is in the context of a person who is suffering. The, the confession is meant to bring healing, reconciliation. This is the truth this morning, whoever needs to hear it. You cannot be helped if you don't take ownership of your own sin. That's what they're doing. The, the confession is not this. 
and I know you've heard it. It's not reliving a sinful act and calling it a testimony. It's not telling everybody, well, I got in my car and I went over there and I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that and oh my goodness, you ought to see me when we went and done that. And You ever heard a testimony like that? And you're sitting there going, it seems like they're really enjoying this. They're glorying in the, their own depravity when they were 15 or, or 18. No. Confession is for the purpose of reconciliation. Confession is is meant to be happen in a trusted friend or a trusted community for accountability. And we'll talk about that more even next week. It's not some person to get up here this morning and say, Hey, Pastor, can I have the mic? i got something I need to say. Ah, yeah, I remember when I was 20 years old. Man, I used to close the bars down and all the drugs that I used to do. Oh, I did it. I smoked it. I snorted it. I did it. Oh, my goodness. But God saved me. No, that's not it. That person is just enjoying bragging about how depraved he was. A person who comes to confess is confessing what David did in Psalms 51. That my sin is against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is unholy in your sight. It is a humble cry for help. It is a humble cry for help. And you don't have help. Because you have not asked for help. The prayer of faith is not the exclusive responsibility of the office of the elder, but is a shared responsibility among the members of the church. Listen. The prayer of faith is not the exclusive responsibility of the office of the elders. It is a shared responsibility among the members of the body of Christ. Confession, listen, must always lead to intercession. Praying for one another here is primary. Not the oil, not the confession. It is intercession that is the point. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It is seeking this trusted person and telling them what you're going through so that they may intercede for you. Never confess to someone who is not going to intercede. How do you know that they're interceding? Because they're already praying for you. Because they send you a text. And say, I got to put me on your mind this morning and I'm praying for you. Because they asked to have coffee with you just to see how you're doing. Worldly methods do not bring supernatural healing. As long as we keep going to the world to get help with our mess, we will never be healed from it. We will only be have therapy good enough for the next week. Do you want to be healed? Then you must come through God's means for healing, not the world's. The world has nothing to offer Christians. And listen, that's the truth. Whether we want to hear it or not, God's Word And God's people are given the supernatural gift of faith to pray and things happen. Do you believe that? This is not relegated to super saints. This is just telling church people to live like family. To know what I'm struggling with and love me anyway and pray for me for that. 
and me to do the same for you. The intercessor must love the person. He must trust the will of God. Listen to what I'm saying here because I've experienced this myself and I bet you have too. The intercessor must love the God of the book. It is not sufficient to simply know what the book says. You must know the God of the book. Because if not, you will use this book to break bruised reeds and quench flickering flask. But to know the God of the book is to think about the story of the prodigal son when he pursues his son. Puts a robe on him. Puts a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. That's God. That's the God of the book. The prayer of the righteous people are powerful. You see it in verse 16? The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Yes, in one sense, we are all righteous in Christ. We are covered by His righteousness. But we've already learned, this is not what James is talking about. James is talking about a practical righteousness. That's that word, working there. It is the practical outworking of your life. A holy life. It is your actions. It is your mercy. It is our laboring to know and do the will of God. To line our everyday lives up to His Word. So that when I pray, my prayers are lined up with the God that I know and His Word that He has given to me. It has great power. That means that that water coming through that conduit is going to produce its designed effect, which is to put out the fire. That's what prayer does. Prayers given produce exactly what God intended them to produce. And so we dare not pray. In other words, those who walk closely with the Lord will see powerful responses to their prayer. 1 John 3, 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Why do we receive it? Because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. You see that connection? We see our prayers answered because our prayers are lined up with God and the book. And to this, He wants to make sure that we understand that this prayer, this powerful prayer, is available to everybody. So he brings up Elijah, the example of a righteous person. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, verse 17. And he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. For three years and six months, it didn't rain. Here's my very simple point here. God said this, God uses the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary so that he gets the glory for it. Elijah was a man like us. That's what that means. And he ought to just go sometimes and read from, from 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 19. Because in verse 17 and 18, he's calling for the rain to stop and it's stopping. He's praying for the rain to come and it's coming. He's calling down a fire. This amazing thing as he goes between Ahab and Jezebel. You remember that situation? But keep reading and get to verse 19, and he's in a cave afraid, depressed. That's Elijah. He's a person just like you who has bad Mondays and bad Fridays. He's a man like you. But he was a man 
that knew his God. Why did he pray for rain? Because that's what God said. Why did he pray for rain to stop and to come? Because that's what God had said. He was simply the instrument. He was the conduit to bring about what God had determined to do through what he said. And what if God is determining to do through your prayers things that he determines to do? Then pray and it's going to happen. That's the clear picture in Scripture. Know him. Know him and when he tells you to pray, pray. No matter the season, no matter the situation. You are living in the end times. Did you know that? Our prayers part of God's economy to bring about things to pass. And so pray. The principle, don't miss it. Don't miss this. You'll, you'll be like the prosperity preachers misusing God's word for their own gain if you don't get this. Elijah's prayer, this is a quote. Elijah's prayer moved heaven because heaven had been moving Elijah. That's the, that was the quote of the week for me. His, his prayers moved heaven because heaven, we could put God in His place, His Word in His place, had already been moving Him. And so today, I'm done. But listen, there's these, these are imperative questions. Do you love God? I'm not talking about do you keep the rules, you do what your parents say, Does God in his person move you? Do you ever get lost in his word? Do you long for time with him? If if me saying this, does God's word and God himself move you? Do you love him? Do you cherish him? Do you look forward to those times together? If all of that just brings a blank, then I guarantee your prayer life is weak and unfruitful. This is, brothers and sisters, much like a marriage. When someone comes to me and says, it's just no physical intimacy. It's a problem. It's just, I need, I want, I expect, I deserve, you know, all that. But you see, that's a fruit issue That's not a root issue. What I can almost guarantee has already happened in this couple's life is they have stopped enjoying each other in the everyday things. Just the everyday things, you know, making supper, washing dishes, doing the laundry, going out to eat. They have began prioritizing Each other's dreams and plans and profits and careers and yes, even our children. And we have forgot that which was essential. And since we do, all we are seeing is bad fruit. Could it be that my relationships and my marriage is in poor health because my relationship with God is in poor health? God desires to be known by you. He loved that you so much he sent his own son so that you could be brought into the family of God and so that you could be handled 
handed the privilege of knowing God and offering these faith-filled prayers that change people's life. This is what it means to be kingdom children. Can, can the praise team go ahead and come up if you're done? Go ahead and close your, your books and stuff. Close your Bibles. My mind's closed. I dare not talk about prayer without giving us a few minutes here before we worship to pray. And the question is, do we believe the power of our collective prayers? That's the point of the text today. And I don't know whether you are so bold, but I would hope you would be to say if you're like me, I've got those in my life that I love that I don't know where they stand with God. Do you? Do you? Would not you give anything that they would delight in God? So, whatever is burdening you, but listen, try this morning to make sure that your burdens are not always me-centered. Because as you begin to grow, sometimes when I come on Sunday, the collective weight of that which we are all going through rests upon me. And I must believe that this is the only way. God is the only one that can lift the weight. And to give you rest. This we must believe. And so let us carry our burdens now before we sink. And let us carry them to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let us, let's pray together. Allow those people that you love more than anything in life. Maybe they're your co-workers. Maybe they're your children. Maybe they're your grandchildren. Maybe this your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Allow them to come up in your mind. Lay them before the Lord. Lord, you see those people that you have placed in our minds. Lord, it's not merely the lost that I see. It's, the, it's those we love with sicknesses and infirmities. With minds that used to be clear that are now unclear. And bodies that used to work that now don't work. It is those we love who need to be able to grow old with grace. It's not easy. Lord, it is all these people. We don't have the ability to fix the physical and the spiritual problems in any of their life. But God, you have told us to pray about everything. And so God, we lay them before you is the only one that can save them. 
can't make them love you, God. I can't, I can't make them delight in you above everything else in their life, but you can. Even now the power of the Holy Spirit can come on them. And this is our prayer. We pray for those that was in our mind that have despitefully used us. Lord, we pray that they not fall under the wrath of God, but that they might be saved. Oh God, forgive us for our apathy. For we have nothing good in this life apart from you. God, you see those people. And we're asking you to give them what they desperately need. God, we confess what many of us have felt through the message is sometimes we don't know how to pray. And so, Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays when we don't know how to pray. And so for some people, Lord, we just groan before you. Saying, God, pour out your grace and your blessings and your comfort on them today. That they would feel and know that they are loved by you and by us. And may we take the necessary steps when we leave this place to respond to them and to show them how much they are loved. And so now, Lord, we orient the rest of our time towards you. To sing as we wait. And to wait on you with unwavering faith. To come to you as we come to the tables and say, Lord, we do not dare come to the tables lest we first come to the cross. And say, Lord, forgive us and cleanse us so that we might enjoy you. Not so we might receive anything other than to know and to delight in you above everything else in this world, Lord. This is our desire and this is our prayer and this is our motivation while we now sing to you. Receive our worship and give to your people the grace and the answers that they have prayed for. In Jesus' name, amen.